The Bible reading is from Mark 9, 33 to 50. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child, whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little ones in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he wasn't one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone was hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jared. I'm the pastor here at HWC. Great to have you with us. Welcome, especially if this is your first time. Very welcome, warm, warm welcome to you. Um, I'm excited this morning because my Bible passage fits on an open double page, which is really, doesn't always happen, but when it does, it's great. Um, please will you join me as we pray. Lord God, thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for your kindness in the Lord Jesus. Please help us to understand what you're saying to us this morning by your Holy Spirit. And it's in his name, the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. So we'll start with something of an illustration. Who's heard of the word YOLO? Anyone? Heard it? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I first came across this word when I was at university. Uh, and it's an acronym meaning you only live once. And, and while it apparently first appeared way back in 93, uh, it was made famous by Drake the Rapper in 2011 and was entered into the Oxford English Dictionary in 2016. Um, it's a short word, but it sums up a lot of our world's approach to life. If you were to try to think of a word to capture the spirit of our age, you'd be hard-pressed to find something more apt than YOLO. You only live once. This kind of thinking pervades people's worldviews and forms the basis for many decisions that people make. Uh, but the reality is that this, uh, 
the, where are we? The reality is that it's not only this present age um, that has an obsession with this life, the here and now. Back when Jesus walked the earth, there were lots of people living life like this was all there is, this life. And following a YOLO approach to life can lead to seeking glory in this life, looking down on others um, who may take the limelight away from us, and even sinning, believing there to be no permanent consequences. The reality, though, is that the idea that we only live once is patently false. Uh, It's not true. There's more to life than this life. There is life beyond the grave. And that changes everything. It's no accident that these verses come right after Jesus foretold his death and resurrection again. There is life beyond the grave. Jesus, the first fruits of those who rise from the dead. And so what matters is not so much how we're perceived in this life, um, what people think of us now, here and now, but yeah, it doesn't matter our earthly achievements, those kind of things. But what matters is where we'll be in the next life. Shifting our thinking away from just here and now to eternity puts everything into perspective. Uh, We're going to follow this theme through the following four sections of today's passage. Who's the greatest? Who's for us? Life and death and salt. So thinking about shifting from a mindset of the here and now to forever. And and we'll follow it through those four themes. Who's the greatest? Well, not who you'd think. The disciples were arguing about who is the greatest. Imagine what that would have been like. I'm the best. No, I'm the best. No, Andrew, you couldn't even cast out that last demon. Nor could you, Philip. So get off your high horse. At least people listened to me when I was preaching. I guess I must be the greatest. Sure, Thaddeus, you might have drawn a crowd, but but the people I preached to really repented. So it must be me. Like you could possibly know that, Bartholomew. Guys, guys, guys. If it's going to be any of us, surely it's either me, James, or John. We were the ones with Jesus on the mountain while you guys were making a hash of that exorcism, remember? (laughs) Wow, Peter. (laughs) Always thinking you're better than the rest of us. Wasn't long ago that Jesus called you Satan, remember? Not so great, are you? Jesus asks what they've been discussing. Once again, he gets right to the point. We've seen this happen multiple times. But they keep silent. Uh, They don't want to tell Jesus what they were talking about. Uh, You know when you've done the wrong thing and you avoid eye contact with the person in charge? You look at your shoes, maybe your sandals in this case, (laughs) maybe the ground, hoping for the moment to pass. That's the impression I get of this situation. When I was in year seven, we went to this supposedly haunted house called Woodrow (laughs) and my friends and I got put in the most supposedly haunted room. Uh, Anyway, me and the five or so guys in there from my year group started playing cards and making noise pretty early in the morning, long before we were allowed to. My teacher, I remember her name clearly, Miss Clark, burst into the room and I knew we'd done the wrong thing and I felt my heart sink. I kept quiet and just tried to not look her in the eye. The disciples had just been arguing about which one of them was the greatest in the present, like with Jesus right nearby. But when Jesus asks them, they go quiet. You can hear a pin drop. There's silence. They don't want to answer. Jesus isn't asking this question because he doesn't know the answer to this question. No, Jesus, Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, he already knows exactly what they've been discussing. Uh, And we can actually see that because of what he says next. Uh, Jesus teaches them 
that if you want to be the first, you must be last of all and servant of all. Greatness isn't found in self-exaltation and pride and arrogance, thinking I'm the best. No, greatness is found in humility and self-sacrificial service of others. I want us to think for a moment about what looks glorious in this life. What kind of things come to mind when we think about what's great? Um, What looks glorious? Maybe it's the grand final winning goal. Uh, Graduating summa cum laude, which um, basically means you aced uni. Uh, Maybe it's the NBA playoff finals buzzer beater to win. Or packing stadiums with fans to hear you make music. Running a marathon in a shade over two hours being elected as a country's head of state. We typically think of what people have achieved in this life uh, when we think of greatness and glory. Uh, We think of those sort of lofty things. We don't usually think of service, do we? But Jesus here challenges that thinking. Glory isn't found in being great in worldly terms. No, no, no. Greatness is found in humility and self-sacrificial service of others. We don't usually think of the humble tasks of cleaning toilets or washing people's feet as particularly glorious, but that's exactly what it's like in the kingdom. The last first and the first last. And this makes perfect sense when we remember the king of this kingdom is Jesus. Jesus, who is the all-glorious son of God, one with the father and the spirit. He emptied himself by becoming a human. He humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. The all-glorious one dying the most humiliating death. That's true greatness. Self-sacrifice for the benefit of others. Jesus went to the cross in our place so we can be set free. Our ideas of greatness are often that of fleeting glory associated with earthly achievements that do not and cannot last. Jesus shows us true greatness and true glory are found in humble service of others. When Christians follow Jesus' example now, it may go unnoticed in this life, but God sees and will graciously reward his children in heaven. Jesus gives a practical example of the last verse to his disciples. Then and there, he takes a child and he brings him into their midst and takes him in his arms. Our children were looked down upon by many in the ancient world. They were seen to be of low social status. And many people thought that if you were great, you didn't hang out with the little ones. But here Jesus shows that if someone receives a child in Jesus' name, they receive him, but not him, but him who sent him. To receive a little one in Jesus' name is to receive the one who sent the Lord Jesus, the Father. Humility is the way of the kingdom. We are to come humbly like children to enter the kingdom and we are to receive the humble represented by this child here as we receive the king himself. And to do so demonstrates an understanding of King Jesus, our king, and of his kingdom, which is marked by humility. So who is the greatest? The last of all and the servant of all. Greatness in the life to come follows a life of serving Christ here and now. Jesus is the greatest, and he perfectly exemplifies that of humble service. I think uh, we can all tend to look for glory and greatness in this life, can't we? Um, Our world encourages that, but our hearts want it too. Uh, It doesn't just come from outside of us. 
We, we want the acclaim. We want recognition. But this kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, is about self-sacrificial service now and glory later. What are some areas of my life where I've wrongly wanted the glory? These are questions to think about for ourselves. What are some areas of my life where I've thought serving was beneath me? What would it look like for me to follow Jesus in self-sacrificial humility? To shift my thinking away from just here and now to eternity. To do that puts everything into perspective. When my life, when our lives are about Jesus' glory, it matters less what acclaim I receive now. Well, when my life is about Jesus' glory, service in imitation of the one who served me, despite him owing me nothing, is a joy and a privilege. When my life is about Jesus' glory and living for eternity, doing the humble things now is a treasure because our real treasure is in heaven where Jesus is. That's thinking about who's the greatest. Who's for us? The answer is those who aren't against us. The disciples tried to stop a man from casting out demons in Jesus' name because he wasn't following them. Uh, notice that when John reports this to Jesus, he tells Jesus that we tried to stop him. Uh, not, not because he was not following Jesus, but because he was not following us, the disciples. Uh, or as Luke records it, he was not following along with us. In both quotes, John makes a point of this guy's relationship with the disciples, or rather lack thereof, as the basis for telling him to stop. This guy wasn't going along with the disciples, uh, so, so they tried to stop him. Interestingly, they tried, but it doesn't say they were actually able to stop him. Jesus' name is a name above every name, and there is infinite power in his name. The guy they were trying to stop had at the very least realized the power that's in Jesus' name or something of the power in Jesus' name. And if we remember the context of this, that the disciples had just been arguing with one another about who is the greatest, it's not hard to see why they would try and stop this guy. Uh, they probably felt threatened by someone else doing what they were doing. They may have been concerned that this man was casting out demons in Jesus' name and that that was a threat to their positions of authority. Were they that unique after all? Were they really that great? Could this guy, without any training, without going along with them, do the same things that they could? Uh, it appears they felt that their greatness was weakened by the presence of someone else who could do what they did, especially someone without any training. Jesus told them not to stop him because a person can't do a miracle in Jesus' name and soon afterwards speak evil of him. Jesus calls on the disciples not to follow in their line of thinking. They've been thinking anyone following along, anyone, sorry, anyone who's not following along with us, that is the disciples, is against us. Uh, Jesus teaches that those who aren't against us, uh, Jesus and the disciples, is for us. The disciples have once again overestimated their own greatness. They think the inclusion of others uh, is based on whether they follow them, the disciples. When in reality, it's all about belonging to Jesus. And in order to belong to Jesus, you don't have to be one of the 12. You don't have to be from that specific time and specific place, which is good news for us. Um, Jesus teaches that those who give a cup of water to drink because they belong to Christ will not lose their reward. Belonging to Christ is the thing. And belonging to Christ is a beautiful reality. 
that's true for every believer in the Lord Jesus. There are many of us who belong to Christ, and each of an, and every one of us who do are united together in him. And what we do for the least of the brothers and sisters of Jesus, we do for Jesus the King himself. So when another brother or sister in Christ cares for us, or we care for them, we're showing love for the Lord Jesus by loving one of his own, and loving like him. These people will by no means lose their reward, giving something as simple as water for the reason of belonging to Christ is rewarded in the kingdom. This is a kingdom that is characterized by humility. Thinking about today, this is a helpful antidote to the tribalism that can sometimes creep into churches. Obviously, we don't want false truths to be preached. We must guard the gospel and we have no partnership with false teachers. Uh, but this next thing I'm going to say doesn't negate any of that. We aren't the only church in the world with the gospel, uh, nor are we the only denomination in the world with the gospel. No, we're part of Jesus' family that includes every person who belongs to him, all who have repented and believed in Jesus. And this is liberating. We aren't in competition with other churches. When others do well, we rejoice with them. When others struggle, we weep with them. Do you see how focusing on eternity clears this up? If it were all about the here and now, like YOLO, you only live, one, only live once would suggest, then we'd want the glory for ourselves. And it would matter if we were the most successful church, however you define that. But because it's not all about the here and now, it's really all about the there and then, about forever, we must not be consumed with a self-centered tribal approach to church. If another Christ-centered Bible teaching church grows amazingly well, but our church isn't, we can rejoice genuinely because there are lost people being saved and brought into God's kingdom. We rejoice because God is doing his work of bringing the lost in and bringing glory to his name. Eternal glory, not the fleeting kind, but the kind that lasts forever. And similarly, if we are growing and we are seeing lots of people saved, we rejoice, not because we're having success here and now, but because God is bringing the lost in and bringing glory to his name. The shift to the eternal mindset puts everything into perspective and makes all of the difference. That was who's for us, those who aren't against us. Now we come to life and death, and this section talks a lot about hell. Having an eternal mindset means thinking not only about the wonder of glory in heaven, but also the torment of hell. Lots of people don't like to mention hell or think about it, but Jesus, who is rightly known as the most compassionate person to ever walk the earth, spoke and taught about hell. And we talk about hell here at HWC because we don't want anyone to go there. It's a real place. Uh, where we all deserve to go for our sin. But salvation is possible in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we're now going to look at two ways that thinking about eternity affects our understanding in these matters of eternity, of life and death. The first one is to do with the little ones. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. It would be better for a person who would cause a little one to stumble to be killed in a most horrific way than to lead astray Jesus' little ones. 
The punishment for such an action of, of leading those astray is so severe uh, that it is in the interest of the one who would do such a thing to die before even being able to commit such a heinous crime. Why is that? Well, causing a little one to slip up may appear to have relatively few consequences here and now. And we know that people get away with things here and now, but not so in eternity. The consequences of such actions are extremely severe, that even a most horrific death, as described by Jesus, is going to be better than the consequences um, in hell for such actions. Clearly, sin is serious. Uh, While people living for the here and now may think there are little or no consequences for wronging the little ones, they are sorely mistaken. And if all of us don't repent, then, then when judgment comes, we will find ourselves in hell forever. So we must repent. Sin is serious. It would be better to be killed before falling into it than endure the eternal death of hell. In keeping with this same theme, Jesus teaches that it's better to cut off our limbs and to gouge out our eyes and enter life, that is to enter heaven, than to go to hell with the body intact. If, if one were thinking that this life were all there is, uh, then sin doesn't seem that serious. Uh, while you might get caught for some bad things, there are plenty of things you can get away with. And many wrong things aren't even illegal. Take adultery, for example. If this life is all there is, then you could really just do whatever you want. There might be some consequences here and now, but the, the, aim, of the, de- the aim of the game would be live it up now and try not to get caught. And that's what our world does. But that has no place in Christianity. No place in Jesus' kingdom. Sin is extremely serious. And God will judge in righteousness and fairness and justice. Jesus teaches that it's better to cut off our limbs and to gouge out our eyes and enter life than go to hell with our body intact. Jesus taught that hell is a real place where there's unquenchable fire and worm does not die. And once a person is sent there, there's no getting out. It's an eternal destination of torment and destruction. Jesus taught on hell. Uh, Some people like to make it out as though they like Jesus, but then they reject his teachings. Uh, Jesus says that if anyone's ashamed of him or his words, then the Son of Man will be ashamed of him or her when he comes with his Father's angels. Uh, While it's not a comfortable topic to teach on, it's vital that the warnings are put before us. Um, It shows us the seriousness of our sin. And if we don't have the warnings put before us, we may think that we can just go on indulging our sinful desires without consequence. But there are consequences, and they are severe. So severe that cutting off limbs, gouging out eyes, are better than getting sent there. Jesus' words provide a massive wake-up call, don't they? We can't play games with sin. Uh, Thinking about eternity puts sin into perspective. Sin's not something fun that has no consequences. No, sin is evil that will be judged in hell forever. So we must turn to Jesus. Uh, It might seem straightforward that if someone's an alcoholic, they should stop going to the pub. But how many times do we live that same way? Uh, Watching that TV show that we know has things in it that we shouldn't look upon. Spending time idly browsing the internet when we know there are lots of bad things on there. Um, maybe there are figurative limbs we need to cut off. Or figurative eyes we need to gouge out. Maybe I need to cancel the internet. Maybe I need to get an accountability partner. 
because of the wrong things I'm looking at. Maybe I need to cancel a streaming service or stop watching a particular show because the content isn't right. Uh, maybe I need to go to stop going to a particular place because when I do, I feel tempted to do the wrong thing. These things might seem excessive, you know, say cancelling the internet, for example. But that's because of a here and now mindset, not because of an eternal one. If we really think with eternity in mind, we know that sin leads to death. It leads to hell. We mustn't play games with sin. And while we all deserve to go to hell for rebelling against God, there is hope. If we turn to Jesus, we turn and trust him as Savior and Lord, then instead of getting what we deserve, Jesus took it in our place on the cross. And Jesus gives us new life as a free gift because he rose from the dead, powerfully defeating sin and death and the devil. Just like we've seen, the way of the kingdom is humility. We can't earn our way into Jesus' kingdom. We need to acknowledge our sin. We need to acknowledge our need for him as savior. We need to acknowledge that we need Jesus to rescue us and that we need him as our king to change us, uh, to work in us, to make us like him. We can't save ourselves. Uh, we all deserve to be in, under God's judgment. But the secure hope is that if we turn and trust Jesus as Savior and submit to him as Lord, we have salvation. Salvation that's secure, that can't be taken away from us, that's, that's secure because Jesus died the death we deserved in our place on the cross. So trust him today. That was uh, looking at life and death. Now we look at salt. Everyone will be salted with fire, Jesus says. How we receive this salting depends on how we relate to Jesus. For those who don't know Jesus, being salted with fire brings judgment to mind. But if we know Jesus, then salting is like the trials and difficulties in the Christian life that purify like fire. Salt can sting. Have you ever been swimming with a cut or had a salt and vinegar chip after a paper cut? No matter what, it stings. But sometimes the sting can be a good thing. Refining and purifying, cleansing and, and making new the wound. Uh, the last contrast between living for the here and now and living for eternity can be found in the way in which we use the language of salt and in particular being salty. Um, so if you heard anyone say, stop being salty, or something like that. Our world uses salty to mean bitter, angry or resentful. Um, it's got connotations of being antagonistic, especially when losing or not having things uh, going one's way. So maybe something like, Ryan was so salty when he lost at Lawn Bowls. Um, sorry if anyone here is called Ryan. <laughs> that sort of thing. That's our world's idea of being salty. Being salty in the here and now is getting upset and angry at other people when things don't go your way. Jesus teaches us to be salty, but not like that. Being salty in an eternal way is not being angry or resentful or antagonistic, but rather about being at peace with one another, flavorful, self-sacrificial, making our world thirst for Christ and having a preserving effect on our world. Uh, salt's a great metaphor. It's got many different facets to it. Jesus says, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. 
They're at peace with one another. Uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus makes us salty. And holding, us, holding to this gospel enables us to live at peace with others. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. He, he brings, uh, he's able to bring us to the restoration and reconciliation with God. He also works uh, bringing peace between, between, uh, on a horizontal level as well, between individuals. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker, and he makes us into peacemakers too. And uh, the saltiness comes along with that, that bringing peace, which is the opposite of what our world means when they say someone's being salty. Flavorful. Salt can make lots of things taste good. Uh, and we can have that sort of effect on our world by shining our lights for Christ, by telling people about the Lord Jesus, by um, making him known in this world. Uh, we, can, we can have an effect of bringing something of value and taste to this world. Uh, self-sacrifice. Salt was added to the sacrifices. Uh, and, and salt here seasons the lives lived as living sacrifices. By God's people. Uh, making our world thirst for Christ. Christians are to live in a way that makes others thirsty for the kingdom. Uh, when people see our love for one another and know that we belong to Jesus, they want that. Uh, people often comment on how when they come to here, come here at HWC, they feel the strong sense of family and welcome. That's not because we're great. That's because of Jesus. Uh, that's, that's, that's because of him. And people who don't have that want that. Let's make sure we always love one another like that so that we make our world thirst for the Lord Jesus, who is the source of us being a family and being welcoming. We want to be salt in the sense that we make them thirst for Jesus. Salt preserves. Christians are to live lives that bring the gospel of Jesus to the world. And this has the effect of preservation because people come to salvation through the gospel of Jesus. And we also have a preserving effect in our world by modeling and encouraging biblical living. Uh, this means standing up for what's right, even when those on the outside would judge us for it. Um, not laughing at certain jokes would be a good example of that. If disciples lose their saltiness, the peace is gone, the flavor is gone. The seasoned self-sacrifice is gone. Making people thirst for the kingdom is gone. And the preserving effect on the world is gone. And once it's gone, it's a saltiness that can't come back. So don't be salty like the world's definition. Like someone who lost a lawn bowls. Be salty like Jesus calls us to. Knowing that this life isn't all there is. There's one to come. And it's forever. Please you pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you that this life is not all there is. Thank you that there is the life to come. Thank you that we know that for certain because you came to this earth, you lived, you died, and you rose again. You have proven, Lord Jesus, that eternity is real and, uh, and that you have defeated death and we are so thankful for that. Thank you, Lord, that this life is not all there is, that the claims of our world that we only live once are nonsense and not true. Lord, thank you for that. We come to you with uh, open hands, Lord, acknowledging that we're sinners. Uh, we, we are people who deserve your judgment. And uh, we ask for you to be merciful to us. 
Forgive us for wronging you and uh, for living lives that don't honor you. And we come to you to receive the free gift of eternal life that you alone offer. And we trust in you, Jesus, and you alone. Thank you, Lord, for that. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, make us more like you every day by the work of your spirit. Lord Jesus, help us to live in a way that brings you the glory, that doesn't seek the glory for ourselves. Help us to live in a way that isn't tribal, um, but, but seeks great unity with, with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us, Lord, to live in a way uh, that is conscious of the severity of sin so that we're quick to confess it, repent of it, and trust you for our salvation. And finally, Lord, we pray that you help us to live in a way that is salty, not in the world's way of thinking about being salty, but in the way that you call us to be, where we have the effect of making our world thirst for you and preserving our world um, in anticipation of your return. And we pray this in Jesus' precious almighty name and for his glory. Amen.